You are listening to Packers Talk Radio Network. PackersTalk.com. Listening to No Huddle Radio on the Packers Talk Radio Network, your home for in-depth and thoughtful Packers analysis. I'm your host, JJ Leahy. My co-host is my good friend Gil Martin. In addition to the show, I host Cheese and Packers, and Gil is the host of Locked On NHL. He also writes for the Packers Post and Cheesehead TV. We're here to talk Packers because you're all here for one thing, and that's a love for Green Bay football. Not a ton of Green Bay football news at the moment, but there is a bunch of other news out there uh you know nba is still cooking college football shaking up the landscape a little bit uh new breaking report that usc and ucla are leaving the pac-12 to go join the big 10 i'm going to do an emergency podcast about that uh friday afternoon to uh check that out on um uh, cheese and packers uh, it's gonna be a, a good time there um if you have any interest in that but we're going to talk about Packers defensive line right now. Um, Gil and I have been kicking around this, this thought about how the lack of depth at edge rusher obviously could really hurt the Packers. I think it certainly did last year, but the, the idea that intrigues us is maybe our our understanding of the Packers defensive line needs to change a little bit because we're used to what Mike Pettin did and and Joe Barry certainly ran a similar defense to uh Mike Pettin's last year but he has different pieces to play with this year you know he was stuck with um Mike Pettin's roster plus the addition of Vondre Campbell which ended up being a huge now he's got Jerron Reed He's got Devontae Wyatt. He has Quay Walker. We're going to talk about what the defensive line is going to look like. But first, we got to talk about um, the outside linebackers coach. I think this is going to be relevant. Gil, uh, new guy in town this year, Jason Rebrovich from the Jaguars. What was your reaction when the Packers first hired him? Uh, Wasn't really too sure, to be honest with you. Didn't know a heck of a lot about him. it's a little scary whenever you hear the term X Jaguars fill in the blank. Uh, so <laughs> doesn't fill you with optimism and uh, enthusiasm for a track record of success, uh, at least not recently. No offense to Jaguars fans. I feel your pain. But despite, uh, despite the fact that X Jaguars offensive coordinator Nathaniel Hackett had certainly some uh, admirable success here in Green Bay. Yes, although back when he was with the Jaguars, I think they were at least respectable. And, you know, you weren't sitting there saying, oh, yeah, that's one of the worst five teams in the league for right. the third straight year kind of a thing. But, yeah. <laughs> that is yeah. true. Re- Ribervich, of course, was there during the 2017 Saxonville legendary vaunted defense. Uh, his defensive yes. line was uh, really special. He was the defensive line coach. Um, and then that defense really disintegrated over the next few years. Uh, key pieces leaving in free agency, leaving via trades. Rebervich just didn't have much to work with. And then um, I think he was not retained when Urban Meyer came in. Right. So um, I, I agree. My first reaction also was that I wasn't um, super geeked about the idea. But the more I thought about it and looked at the production that he was able to get from different types of players, I think intrigued is a good word to describe where my head was at. Yes. Um, and speaking of intrigued, he had a quote a uh, couple weeks ago talking about his vision for the defense. And he said he wants to see his pass rushers, quote, play off each other, working as a cohesive whole rather than playing as a bunch of independent contractors. And I think that that made me light up because a bunch of independent contractors is exactly what I think that our pass rushers felt like last year and in 2020 as well. And you have to go back to 2019 for the last time that it really felt like um, there was, you know, th- this uh, cohesive oneness between the group where 
uh, you know, one side would flush a guy out. The other side would bring him down. Right. Um, and, and you could just see them just working with that chemistry. And 2020, 2021, I just didn't feel like that magic was there and that that uh, great communication and teamwork. No, no, it wasn't. But obviously, we'll see what he can do here in Green Bay. And that's obviously what we're looking at on today's podcast and, and really throughout the rest of this season. Uh, one of the things to think about here in terms of the defensive line working together as a unit, when you have that communication there, one of the things that that makes you a little bit less susceptible to is those mobile quarterbacks who are able to just find a hole created by a freelancer. All right. You get, you get a play where, uh, you know, Preston really just breaks through and, and creates a pressure. And all of a sudden, there is a hole open on his side. And a guy like Lamar Jackson is able to, you know, squeak through that. And nobody else was kind of sitting around to play cleanup. And um, I, I think that that's a really familiar image to a lot of Packer fans thinking about the Packers defense over the last few years. Yeah. Those breakdowns, uh, I would say, especially, uh, in the final years of the, uh, Mike Pettin regime always really hurt this team, especially in some pretty big spots. We talked last year about all the mobile quarterbacks that the Packers were going to face, um, and I think that for the most part, defensively, they did okay. There were a couple of guys who were able to gash them. But for the most part, it looked all right. This year, we're facing a bunch of you know more mobile quarterbacks like we did last year. We got Jalen Hurts. Uh, we got, of course, Justin Fields twice. We also have uh, Josh Allen. Um, part of me is really looking forward to that game. Part of me is just really wanting to give our defense as much time as possible between now and then to really work out any and all kinks so that they can be airtight by the time uh, we go up against the bills. Cause that is going to be a, a potent challenge. No question. That is one of the more explosive offenses out there. And uh, hopefully, hopefully we will be equal to the task. That's one of the toughest games on the schedule. No question about that. So one of the things that, uh, well, I guess let's back up for a second just to provide a little bit of context for why we're talking today. And uh, we're going to be repeating ourselves a little bit because we, we've talked about this before. But last year, there was a stretch of the season in the middle of the year where the Packers defense was number one. It was really, 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 really good. And that stretch ended with the Seahawks game where we held the Seahawks to zero points. And during that game, Rashawn Gary and Whitney Merciless got hurt. Now Rashawn Gary was ultimately able to return to the field. Whitney Merciless missed the rest of the regular season. And for the rest of the year, there you just didn't have three pass rushers that you could put out there on the field. You had uh, Rashawn Gary and Preston Smith both playing at an elite level. And then you were you were stuck in a spot where you didn't feel like you could put those two guys on the field at the same time very often. Um, you couldn't um, you couldn't um, have uh, both of those guys sitting on the bench and, and throw in a second second string unit because you're talking about Jonathan Garvin and, and Tipa and it's just, it just wasn't enough. Right. And then the, you know, the issue is that, so Whitney Merciless retired. We have not replaced him yet. Obviously, Zadarius Smith is gone. You still really like your number one and number two, but you don't have a third rotational guy you can mix in there. And I think that the, the difference was pretty night and day when you look at the number of points and yards that the Packers defense was giving up as soon as Whitney Merciless got hurt. So th this is the basis for our concern, our basis for wanting to have this discussion. But we are thinking that maybe, although obviously we'd love to see them bring in a veteran pass rusher, and I think that we'll, we'll talk later in the podcast about who they could bring in, because I think it's still worth doing, Yeah, even, even if we're right about our, our other theory. 
But our our theory is that pass rush pressure is maybe going to come from some different spots. Um, uh, do you have more interest in starting with um, the interior of the defensive line or talking about the inside linebackers here? Well, let's start at the beginning, which in my mind would be the defensive line. Uh, but I think we'll definitely have to cover both of them because they're both going to be making contributions to the effort as far as pass rush is concerned. Uh, I, I, I'm interested in seeing how this new Joe Barry defense and the emphasis that he's talked about with having two off-ball linebackers on the field more often uh, is going to play out as far as the pass rush is concerned. Yeah. And, and a big part of that is going to be all these new pieces that Joe Barry has to work with where he can put any package that he needs to on the field um, so that opposing offenses can't dictate the game to us. All right. We're going to, you know, run a different look. That's fine. We can match you because at, at all three levels of our defense, we have different types of players and we have enough players at each of these levels that we can, go hey if we need to do a 6-1 look we can do that we have the we have the ponies up front to do it yeah yeah and go ahead go ahead ahead. ahead. (laughs) jaron reed i think is going to be an especially intriguing contribution because he's such a versatile player and he had make no mistake he had a, a pretty down year last year with the chiefs um and overall i think that he has tended to be more of a good, not great player, but that versatility is intriguing. And he's got a lot of speed. He's got a lot of power. Um, Let's him do stuff, you know, really, really uh, attack the outside shoulder of a guard, you know, in, in, uh, you know, with his long arms and, and quick burst, that kind of stuff. He is pretty solid against the run. I think Jerron Reed, and Dean Lowry and TJ Slayton provide a really intriguing interior set of options that has me wondering how much time on the inside we'll see Kenny Clark. I I think we're going to see Kenny Clark all over the place, depending on the matchup, depending on the down and distance, depending on uh, the score of the game and what the uh, defense is trying to do on any given play. I think the beauty of having all of these different moving pieces, and you alluded to uh, a a number of them with, uh, you know, Dean Lowry and Jerron Reed and TJ Slayton. And, and now you're going to, you're going to add Devante Wyatt. Uh, Having all of these players who can step up and play different spots along that front three, uh, it, it allows you to, to move Kenny Clark, to take on their weakest uh, offensive lineman or to try to overload a particular offensive lineman or occupy a certain number of blockers to free up another player, whether it's Clark, Mm -hmm. whether it's a linebacker or a safety who's blitzing all of a sudden, so much more seems to be on the table to keep offenses guessing as to who's coming, where they're coming from, and and what the coverage is as a result of that setup. So, you know, I, I get the feeling that sort of it was almost like the defense was playing checkers the last couple of years, and now they're going to play chess. Yeah, that, that I like that analogy. Um, and the first thing that it brings to mind when you say that is watching Matt Nagy, and make no mistake, make no mistake this is a Matt Nagy – the heck am I talking about Vic Fangio Vic Fangio go. all right let me back up the dirty word take Matt, Nagy out of my mouth Vic Fangio defense make no mistake this is a Vic Fangio defense Joe Barry Fangio disciple um I, I think back to the creativity that Vic Fangio employed um you know and and especially 2018 that was his banner year with the Bears and he similarly had every kind of player that you could want at every level. And it it didn't matter what opposing offenses were trying to do. He could negate it just with his formation. Not only that, he was a master at pre and post snap 
uh, disguises. And uh, the best example of this was when the 2018 Rams, who went to the Super Bowl that year, when they came to town and absolutely got their butts handed to them by Vic Fangio, you saw this high-flying L.A. Rams offense that had been just murdering teams with uh, Todd Gurley running this uh, you know outside zone running scheme, uh, Jared Goff doing just enough and you know with a quick passing game, uh, hitting these uh, really good receivers, and all of a sudden Vic Fangio, number one, is able to negate Todd Gurley just with the players he has, and he, he went like I said went to a six man front, the six right. one look, and just that defensive line just sealed things off. Todd Gurley couldn't go anywhere. He couldn't bounce outside like he'd been doing to everybody else all year. All of a sudden, Sean McVay says, I got to put the ball in Jared Goff's hands and make him throw it. And then the beauty of what Vic Fangio did, because he was such a, a true genius here, he still has this goofy 6-1 look out there. And Jared Goff, you know, prepares to start throwing deep. Post-snap, all of a sudden, these guys start flying around the field. Surprise, it's not a 6-1. They, they were pretending to be a 6-1. They're actually totally set up to stop you in the passing game. Jared Goff was bewildered. He had his eyes were so big, you could see uh, you know, see the whites all the way around his eyeballs. He had <laughs> no idea what he was doing. Uh, Vic Fangio confused him on every single snap. I think in a situation like that, where you don't have the ability to run and your quarterback is not a, a hall of famer like Aaron Rodgers, um, doesn't know what to do with these, uh, confusing reads. Um, and, and, and like I said, no run game to lean on. You're in a situation where this insanely powerful offense just grinds to a halt and that I think is clearly what Joe Barry wants to do this year yep and giving him the pieces to do it um giving him a, another year in you know the offseason to um teach his guys what he wants to do I'm going to be disappointed if we don't see a significant shift in how much uh pre and post snap disguise uh is Joe Barry calls this year and what you're really looking for from a defensive perspective is even to create a split second of indecision on the part of the quarterback, on the part of the receivers, on the part of the offensive line. That split second can create an mm -hmm. advantage for the defense if they're blitzing in coverage, uh, in confusion by the offense where they don't run the right play or they're not in sync. It really creates a whole different set of circumstances. And, you know, for how many years, like Matt LaFleur has been now coached for three years, and we always talk about scheming someone open. This is sort of the flip side of that coin on defense. We are actually scheming someone covered or scheming someone well, open yeah. to get to the quarterback. Well and, you know, that's the kind of thing where we haven't had that kind of high-level deception in our defense and been effective at it in a long time. We've had it. I mean, you know, Mike Petton had his tricks that he liked to use to try to deceive offenses, but he didn't always have the talent mm -hmm. to pull it off. And this year, the amazing thing when I look at this defense and I wrote an article about it, theoretically, we should have seven out of the 11 starters being former first round picks on defense this year. Yeah. I'd really like to see all that investment in the defense really come to fruition this year. You saw, you saw a, a, a vision last year of what that could be. Um, even when they were, when they were missing guys, you, know, you had Jair and Zadarius out long before uh, the, the defense took any kind of a step back toward the end of the year. And, and Jair and Zadarius were not any part of that really locked down run in the middle of the year when right. they were uh, just shutting down teams like the Cardinals, like the Seahawks, like the Rams uh, who were unable to do anything uh, at all. Uh, looking at some Until of the, it was too late anyway. Well, you know what? I think that uh, 
popping her into neutral in the fourth quarter maybe is always going to be a um, identifying feature of the Packers. <laughs> so, uh, you know, uh, th- th- that's always been one of those things of like, you usually have to have the game won by the third quarter if you're the Packers. Otherwise, it's going to be a heart burner. Yeah, and, and, and I can hear already in the Twitterverse and, and throughout Packer fandom, Rodgers isn't, isn't clutch. Rodgers isn't clutch. And uh, I don't even want to go down that road. Uh, it's it's just so silly. We're we're not even gonna get into that. But he's no no. There there's there's so many um, examples over the years of him being extremely clutch. I I'm not even gonna engage in that. Good. Let's thank you. Let's talk about specific players um, on this defensive line. I'm I'm grouping the outside backers and the defensive line in together here. Uh, I think they share way more in common than the outside and inside backers. Okay. Let's talk about some specific players. Let's start with Devontae Wyatt, who I I will just say, despite the fact that he's a little bit older of a rookie, I'm not necessarily expecting a ton of contribution from him in one year or in year one. I think that this is still the Packers. I think they still, um, unless you are their only option, a la Eric Stokes last year, they really would prefer you to sit and learn for a year or two rather than getting out there and having massive snaps uh, early. And Rashawn Gary is a great example of this. He did not get much playing time uh, his first year in the league. It was almost a redshirt year. Almost, yeah. Almost. And when you saw Rashawn, he didn't didn't always look great in his rookie year. There was a lot of frustration from fans. And and in year one, I think that that was um, certainly understandable. Devonte, why we haven't heard anything out of um, uh, OTAs or minicamp or anything so far to indicate that he is a big part of this defense yet. Uh, that could change over the course of training camp for sure. But um, you know, you you heard about uh, Christian Watson getting a, a, just a lion's share of um, of attention from Aaron Rodgers and and getting picked on by Jerry Alexander. You heard how much they are trying to incorporate Christian Watson into the offense. You kind of didn't hear Devontae Wyatt's name mentioned hardly at all. It seems more like with Devontae, the expectation is, all right, figure out where the the bathrooms are. Here's the playbook. Start (laughs) learning our terminology. And that's kind of year one is is just focus on getting up to speed and, and figuring out how we do things here this year. But. If he does get some playing time, some of his strengths, his, his biggest strengths, Devontae Wyatt, for being an interior guy, is absolutely a a monster in terms of pressuring the quarterback. Now, he only had uh, two and a half sacks, but he had uh, two forced fumbles, uh, racked up a, a ton of pressures. He also had some great clips of him chasing down quarterbacks and getting to show off that elite athleticism that he has uh, one of the most athletic um, defensive linemen in this past draft class. He ran a four, seven, seven 40, which is fantastic for a defensive lineman, but he looks faster than that on tape. Uh, he, you know, you got your straight line speed and you have your play speed. Devonte Wyatt's play speed, uh, which, which factors in your reaction time, your decision time. That is truly elite. And when you combine that with the four seven seven that he can run physically, it's great. But he also has a head start before he starts running that fast. Well, yeah, that's what I was about to say. One of the things that scouts loved about Wyatt is that quick first step off the snap of the ball, and on running plays and passing plays, you know that gets you into the backfield. That can stop a run for a loss. You know, tackle for loss. That can make the quarterback get out of the pocket or or get out of his rhythm before the play even really starts to develop. And, you know, I get the feeling that by the end of the year, by the end of the year, we will see uh, Devontae Wyatt as a regular part of the rotation. I don't think he'll necessarily mm-hmm. be playing the majority of the snaps, but get him out there, let's say 25, 30, 35% of the snaps 
in November, December, and hopefully January, or even dare I say February. Uh, and, and just as he learns, he'll get more playing time. And I think that his quickness off the snap, which is something that's really hard to coach. It's just one of those innate talents. Now you have to work on how to utilize it, but, uh it really could be a game changer at the line of scrimmage for the Packers once he's fully up to speed. And maybe more important even than the percentage of snaps would be the situation. Um, let's look back at um, a quote from Jerry Montgomery. I think we, we talked about it on this podcast. So this was after they added Jerron Reed in free agency before the draft. This is like the one time that you heard from the uh, defensive position coaches right. um, prior to the draft. So Jerron Reed is already on the team. Montgomery said, I'd love to add a high level third down pass rusher. And again, Montgomery coaches the interior of the defensive line. He's not, mm -hmm. I mean, obviously he works in tandem with uh Rebervich and the outside linebackers, but you know, the, the guys that uh, Montgomery is working with personally are Kenny Clark, Dean Lowry, uh, TJ Slayton, and now Jerron Reed. And in that, it, with that context, he says, I'd love to add a high-level third-down pass rusher. He said, I need a little bit more twitchy of a guy that can mm -hmm. add to the rush from the inside standpoint. Wow, does that sound like Devontae Wyatt. Now, last year, they did have a guy who had a skill set that you would describe that way. Kingsley Kiki, no longer with the team. Right. Um, and, and I think that uh, Kingsley Kiki was a, a substantial loss as well. Um, well. I, I think they got rid of him for reasons that were never quite divulged to us, but I think there was something more than just what he did on the field. And I'm not saying there was like a substance no. or alcohol problem, but his no, attitude, I, I think there were well, issues I, with his attitude. Okay. I, I will just add a little bit of context here. I, I did, I spoke with a member of Kiki's family who told me that Kiki was the one who asked to be released from the Packers, that the Packers okay. wanted to keep him. So the family story is that Kiki was the one who wanted to leave, um, which, you know, uh, I, I'll just take them at their word for that. I'm not going to try and read any further. Into right. It. But, but what does that say about the guy's attitude? Well, but I, I'm, I'm just saying in terms of his play on the field, he was a loss. Losing him was significant. Yes. And I think that uh, Devontae Wyatt, just as that hyper athlete, maybe is a really good candidate to pick up those Kingsley Kiki snaps. Mm hmm. As will, I think, Jerron Reed will to an extent. Uh, and yeah, uh, we'll, we'll see uh, what role TJ Slayton has in his second year. But I love, again, much like the way the offensive line has guys who could play multiple positions, we are now developing a defensive line that can do a similar thing. Yeah. Um, let's, let's turn attention a little bit on Jerron Reed. Uh, Jerron Reed made a, a big name for himself in his second and third year in the league. 2017, 2018, former Alabama boy. Uh, doesn't have quite... Uh, Devonte Wyatt's speed, uh, but still, uh, you know, not not lacking in athleticism. I think you're you're still right. pretty happy with him. Um, so at that point, he was playing for who the the Seahawks, if I believe uh, correctly. And then he had one year, 2021, with the uh, Chiefs. That was after two kind of disappointing years with the Seahawks. So 17, 18 was playing really well, made a name for himself, had two kind of down years, and then goes to the Chiefs and has his uh, worst year yet of his career. So he's been trending in a wrong direction since 2018. I'm really curious to see if his first year in Joe Barry's system, you see a substantial leap. Um, I we got some some pretty significant production last year from Dean Lowry, who you don't dislike him, but he's traditionally has never been very much of a player. And uh, 2019, 2020 had back-to-back -back pretty bad years. Uh, and then 2021 really bounced back and made a name for himself as a pass rusher. Um, 
I'm interested to see if Jerron Reed can come in and benefit from a similar type of boost as Dean Lowry did. Yeah, I, I think that, and, and the other thing is, are you the primary guy? Are you the, the player on that line who offenses say, we've got to stop this guy in order to protect our quarterback and make our offense go? And right now, the way the Packers' defense is set up, Jerron Reed is what, like maybe the fourth or fifth best pass rushing option they've got on the field on most plays mm-hmm. if everybody's healthy. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think that would allow him to have some better matchups. He's not going to be going up against the other team's best offensive pass blocker all that often. And, you know, when, when you're going up against a guy who is middle of the road as opposed to elite, you get more opportunities to beat that guy and get to the quarterback. Yeah, well said. Um, I'm interested to see, I, I already kind of hinted at this, but I'm interested to see if Kenny Clark kind of kicks outside a little more frequently. Um, he lost a little bit of weight last year, and it looks from uh, pictures that I've seen him post on social media like he's lost even more weight, uh, which is not necessarily what you want to see from your <laughs> from your nose tackle. Right. But the Packers coaches have been throwing the word nose tackle around kind of a lot in reference to a different guy not named Kenny Clark, and that is TJ Slayton. Mm-hmm. There's been some talk from the defensive coaches in Green Bay about TJ Slayton being your nose tackle. And I'm not saying that they're like secretly moving Kenny Clark to uh defensive end and, and trying to conceal that. I, I don't think that they play that kind of uh, chess with the media. But but I do wonder if you are in a situation where you have this guy in TJ Slayton who you feel can really hold down the interior. Um, you know, you're bolstering him with Jerron Reed and and some combination of Dean Lowry and uh Devontae Wyatt. Man, we got so many guys. This is fantastic. Yeah. And then Kenny Clark, you want on the field at all times, and Kenny Clark has always been a better pass rusher than run defender it makes sense where, that you'd be in situations where you're like, Hey, Rashawn and Preston, I you know need to go sit down and catch their breath. Kenny, you're going to take some snaps here at defensive end. Um, pin your ears back and get after the passer. Uh, I, I think that that could just naturally happen just out of the abundance of, of uh, defensive tackles that you feel like you have and the lack of, of uh, outside guys who can get after the passer. Kenny Clark just seems like a really good fit to be playing a little bit more. And, and, and I don't know that he's going to be playing stand up. You know, he might have a hand in the dirt. Yeah. Yeah. But, but still be on the outside on the outside. Yeah. What do you think well, about that theory? It, I think that's a great theory. I think that's really what we're looking at. And I think you, you, you to me first down or, you know, more running downs, or you would put out Clark, Lowry, Slayton. And then on passing downs, you take out Slayton, you put in Reed, and you go Clark, Lowry, Reed uh, on passing downs. Or if you want to keep a fourth guy in, you could also do that. But more more likely, you know, you maybe you put Wyatt in on, on some obvious passing downs early and just say, all right, just go get the quarterback kind of a thing. Uh, but I but I think there are a lot more options this year, a lot more ways to make it work. Uh, and there's depth. You know, if if something happens to one of the interior guys, you got a Jack Heflin who, you know, might be able to step in. Jonathan Ford, the rookie, depending on how much he's ready to show this year, although I get the feeling he may be a practice squad or special teams kind of a guy. I, I think that John Ford was drafted for a special team. I think so too. I, I, I think, I think so he's too. mostly supposed to be doing, you know, like uh, blocking on, on kicks and stuff like that. I think that's why they, yeah, the but, but brought him in. he's a big kid and, you know, third and one, I could see them trying to put him up eventually when he has a better sense of the defense to try to clog up the middle. Uh, you know, that, that would be his, his ceiling, I would guess as a, as a yeah. interior lineman. But obviously, it'll take him time to get there if he gets there. But I yeah, like I, the fact. Go ahead. 
Well, I just say it was going to say I'd be more interested in seeing that next year. And right. He's been coached up for a while because at Miami, I, I did not uh, he went to Miami, didn't he? Somewhere yes. in Florida. Yeah. Um, he he did not impress me as a defender at all. I liked it a lot what he did on special teams mm-hmm. on D de- on defense. I felt like the dude just looked lost a lot of the time and j- just making some, uh, you know, really uh, easy mistakes that. Uh, you know, I, I I just was looking at that and saying, I don't know why any NFL team would be interested in putting him out on defense right now. Right. But you give him a year to learn with these top level players, learn from Jerry Montgomery, um, just batten down some of these basics. I'd be more interested in seeing him on defense at that point. But yep. But but my point is still just that you have a lot of alternatives. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of ways you could line guys up. Uh, and I love that. I really like the idea of having that variety, that deception, and the fact that for the first time in recent memory, it's not just Kenny Clark and a bunch of mm-hmm. other guys who have right. a chance to add a little pass rush on passing downs from the interior line. Yep. Uh, all right. Pop quiz for a second. And uh, unfortunately, Devontae Wyatt doesn't really count. Uh, I, I guess we could try and grab um, his grades from college. Maybe, maybe we'll do that. But talk about the other tackles that we have. Who do you think had the highest run defense grade last year? Uh, Dean Lowry. It was not Dean Lowry. Okay. It was Kenny Clark. And what okay. You, give me give me a range of uh you know within ten points. Try and try and guess his run defense grade. Sixty two. All right, you're within ten points. Well done. It was fifty six point seven. That okay. was our best run defending tackle last year. Fortunately, our um our edge rushers were a little bit better at holding down the run. Rashawn Gary had a seventy, and Preston Smith had a seventy four. So that was the majority of your run defense uh plus obviously Devondre Campbell was lights out Adrian Amos had a 73.6 uh Devondre Campbell like I mentioned 81.5 so those guys were all terrific the interior guys dreadful at run defense so Kenny Clark like I mentioned highest at 56.7 Dean Lowry had a 54.3 Slayton Slayton 44.7 ouch Jerron Reed wasn't even on our team, but right. he also had the bug 54.6. So keep in mind, 60 is dead average. So if you are sub 55, you're technically bad at what you're trying to do. <laughs> so uh, even any, even Kenny Clark graded out as below average in run defense. So that's something really concerning. Um that uh, I think they're going to need, especially if you're going to be leaning on TJ Slayton as your nose tackle, he has to get better at run defense. Looking at it at the course of his season, he had uh, back-to-back games against Chicago and Baltimore where he played very well against the run. And then uh, two weeks later at Minnesota, played very well against the run. The rest of the season, um, not even average. So it was a, a rough year in run defense for TJ Slayton. I think that, the coaches have kind of alluded to um, that he is uh, tightened up his game a bit, is playing a little bit more disciplined football. And I would right. guess that run defense is kind of their their big thing that they're thinking of. Um, well, look, we, we gave up 4.7 yards per rush last year. And, you know, that's something that you can't do and, and expect to win against good rushing teams. So, yep. you know, that number has to improve. I'm curious, and and maybe it'll take you a second to look it up. 2019, 2020, how did our edge rushers do against the run? I'm afraid to look at those numbers. All right. Uh, Let me see here. Looking at – so I I can't grab them all at once, but I can just tell you individually. So Kenny Clark, 2019 – what was this, run defense you said? Yeah. Run Mm -hmm. defense, Kenny Clark – 67.8. 67.8. That was actually a bit Pretty of a good. down. Well, it was a actually a down year for Kenny Clark. So his rookie season, he had a 69. 
Then he had back-to-back 88 seasons. Right. And then uh, career worst at that point, 2019, was a 67. Then he bounced up a little bit in 2020, got up to a 74. You're happy with that. 2021, career worst, uh, 11 points worse than 2019, 56 in 2021. So that's Kenny Clark. And how about like uh, Zadarius and Preston? Um, so I got to actually pull up Zadarius. I don't even have him on here. Okay, Preston I can grab. Preston. Come on, it's loading. Here we go. Uh, still loading. 2019 Preston. Down year for him as well, 61.8. Mm-hmm. The previous year, he was at 72, so that's an 11-point drop from 2018 to 2019. 2020, he bounced back up to 64, which is interesting because we traditionally have said that uh, Preston was much better in 2019 and, and had a bad year in 2020. That is very right. true of his pass rush ability, but he took a step, big step forward, well, a small step forward in run defense in 2020 and then jumped up another 10 points in 2021 with a 74. So that's Preston. You want to know about Zadarius? I do know that in 2020, Zadarius was, I think, our best run defender. Run defender, but yeah. Uh, oh, no, that was 2019. So 2019, he was the best run defender on the team. He had a 76. Nice. Uh, that, that is a career high for him. Um, he hit 61 twice in his career. That was in 2020 and 2017. Um, other than that, he's never been higher than a 59. So he dropped so, off big time in 2020. Yeah, he dropped off 15 points in 2020 and then dropped off another four points in 2021 for the, what, two games that he played. Yeah, I'm not worrying about that. <laughs> right. Uh, let's see. So uh, TJ Slayton, we don't have 2019 numbers on because he was a rookie last year. Jerron, well, did you care about Jerron Reed? Because he wasn't in our in our. No, no. Okay. I'm so worried about the guys Dean we have. Dean Lowry is the only other guy. Uh, so Dean Lowry in run defense has steadily gotten worse every single year since 2018. So 2018 was his career best at a 78.4. You're totally happy with that in run right. defense massive 17 point dip the following year, 2019, 61.4. And unfortunately it kept going down uh, about four points uh, for the next two years to where he settled at 54.3 last year, career worst. Mm. So I think that that is uh, something that you would expect. I mean, I would have expected during the season that the coaches would have noticed all this, but I think, you know, in the off season, you got you're spending a lot of time with your analytics guys. I think you're going to look at what you did against the run last year and say there's a lot of room for improvement. Right. No if you're question. Joe Barry and his staff. Um, you know, but but you are get you did get fantastic run defense from Devondre Campbell and from let's see both safeties. Um, nah. not Darnell. Darnell uh-huh. actually. Actually, Darnell's worst grade was his run defense last year, and that's part of what brought his grade down so low. His pass rush grade last year was a 72, which is good. His coverage grade was 62, which is above average. So right. um, that, much, that, but... <laughs> that 50 run defense grade really dragged his overall grade down considerably, which is interesting because I don't feel like Savage was used that much as a run defender, at least not in comparison with uh, Amos. No, he was used a lot more late in 2020, and it worked pretty darn well than he mm-hmm. was in 2021. But yeah, so the the other guy I'm curious about, I'm pulling up Chris Barnes. Yeah, uh, Chris Barnes as a run defender. Woo, 48. This is not looking good. Um, but he was a lot more high, low, high, low. Looks right. like he averaged about three games in a row of good three games in a row, bad three games in a row, good three games in a row, bad. And it was a really extreme swing every time. Uh, You know, you're talking like mid seventies and then mid thirties. I mean, drastic swings and again, Mm -hmm. for three games in a row. So, you know, one of the knocks against Chris Barnes has always been the inconsistency. So I think that that, that kind of plays out there. Um, But he did, he did take a step back from 2020 to 2021 
in his run defense by about four points as well. So um, it's going to be interesting now having Devondre Campbell and Quay Walker out there because this is the last part of the pass rush I want to talk about. The Micah Parsons theory. What if dun, 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 dun. <laughs> what if the Packers employ Quay Walker like Micah Parsons? Uh, moving him around, play him as a true outside backer at times like Micah Parsons did. Maybe bring him in a lot of blitzes on the inside. I think Quay Walker could really seriously be in the mix for defensive rookie of the year if he's utilized in that way. Dude has freakish athleticism. He's really big really fast if he's getting in there part of the benefit is you have Devondre Campbell next to him who can just lock things down sort of like Morgan Burnett and HaHa Clinton Dix sort of like Adrian Amos and Darnell Savage where you got the older established veteran who can um, be a little bit more gap sound and then the young athlete can go be a bit more of a freelancer Are, are you as intrigued by this idea as I am and do you think that that there is a a, a fantastic opportunity here for Quay Walker to not have to be as technically sound, but to just run in there on blitzes and make a mess in the backfield. Yeah. Well, I I mean, I alluded to that earlier when I said, just put him in there and say, get to the quarterback. So yeah, I, I definitely was, was thinking along those lines. I guess the big question for this season is how much will he be able to contribute as a rookie how, you know, how, how much can you get from a guy who is relying almost exclusively on their pure athletic ability to get mm-hmm. the job done? Yeah, no, that's fair. That's fair. Um, but it, it's an intriguing idea looking at the overall defense and thinking about maybe it's not just Preston and Rashawn. Obviously you have Kingsley and Agbar in there as well, but I, I think that he was so raw as a prospect you know, and, and you, you look at him, he uh, was kind of projected, I think, by uh, most people to be a third round pick. I, I thought of him more of as, as a second round pick. And I think a lot of others did as well that I w- was reading. Fell all the way to the fifth round, uh, the back of the fifth round, in fact, mm-hmm. largely in, and, and had nothing to do with his athleticism. Dude is a freak athlete, but very raw, pretty undeveloped. There's a lot of ground he needs to make up in terms of what's between the ears. There's just a lot of studying he has to do. Um, I I think he will certainly get playing time just because there is such a, there's so many snaps that need to get taken up. Yep. There's a need. But if you got Kenny Clark and Quay Walker taking a lot of snaps on the outside, you know, Kenny Moore is a true defensive end Quay um, as a uh, much more linebackery outside linebacker, but still, in the vein of what like Micah Parsons did last year. I think that could be a really intriguing um, four man workload with Kenny Rashawn Preston and Quay that really might be a uh, pretty fearsome uh, foursome fearsome foursome (laughs) for, uh, for other teams to have to account for. Uh, You want to talk about some uh, free agents out there see if there's anybody who would make sense for the Packers to bring in. Yeah, I mean, I'm still sort of waiting to see. I think they may even wait. Well, obviously, the the June 1st cuts have more or less come and gone, so we're not expecting much. But they may even wait until, you know, the cuts at the end of the preseason. And Well, Whitney Merciless was cut, you know, during the season. Correct. So, or maybe they poach someone off someone else's practice squad when the need arises. There are a number of different options. So I I think it may be a little premature to say who's out there at this point because we don't know who the choices are going to be. But I I don't think they're in a hurry necessarily to fill that role. But did you have anyone in mind? I mean, well, I I got a couple couple guys. Maybe plan A is that you try and, and get... Um, and Nagbar up to speed and and you try and work Quay Walker and Kenny Clark in there, see what you can do with those guys. But then you're, you're looking, you know, you're, you're uh, Brian Gutekunst, your coupon clipping, like he likes to do looking for another Whitney merciless. 
I'll, I'll tell you who's out there right now who are some options. Um, one guy who makes a lot of sense. And I, I'm not hugely in favor because I don't like this guy. And I also don't think that he has been a very good football player the last few years. But a guy that just feels like something they would do. And, and you got to worry about what Aaron Rodgers would say to him in the locker room. <laughs> but Anthony Barr is currently a free agent. Yeah, uh, he's he has uh, been a reliable um, outside linebacker at times. He's only 30 years old, um, you know, and, and you say only 30. Well, compared to a lot of the other guys who are available out there, uh, like K.J. Wright, uh, Malcolm Smith, Jamie Collins, those guys are all closer to 35 than they are to 30. So um, who else is out there? Who is uh, uh, Jason Pierre Paul is out there as well. He's a little bit more. um I'm not sure that he's played much in a stand-up role. I think he has a little bit more background with hand in the dirt. Not that you mm-hmm. couldn't do anything with him, but Jason Pierre-Paul may be an option. Um, I think Carlos Dunlap is not on a team right now. Uh, he was with the uh, Seahawks and with the Bengals at various points last year, but I think he's currently teamless, maybe contemplating retirement. The, you know, so you got a, a Whitney Merciless situation there. Um I, I, I guess I wouldn't be um, opposed to giving him a call. Um, is Carl Nassib is on this list. Is he actually a free agent? I thought for sure he was back with the Raiders again. Yeah, I, I'm not he's, sure about no, that. He's a, he's a free agent. He's, not he's still out there? Team. Okay. I That makes a lot of sense to me. I think the issue with him is he's going to be wanting a lot of money. Well, that because, is. Because, yeah. Yeah. And they're not going to really be in a position to do that. And, you know, when you talk about Barr, I still think his uh, assistant GM, uh, Aaron Rodgers, may veto <laughs> that kind of an idea. But Now, I, I would I would veto it because I don't think he's been a good player for a while. But, Correct. But you don't hear a lot of other people agreeing with that sentiment. He's He, he gets a lot of respect for how he's played, uh, you know, four years ago. But right. Carl Nassib, you know, again, he's more of a traditional hand in the dirt pass rusher, but maybe this is really something you explore. Um, Harder waves with the Raiders. Uh, I know that. Um, I mean, he he really played some really quality football last year. For a while, he was one of the best pass rushers in the league, and he's been actually really good for a number of years. Twenty nineteen looks like it was his best season. Uh, but 2020 and 2021, he was pretty good. Uh, even 2018, I Carl Nassib, I think you give him a call and you see how much money he's asking for. And if there's any way you can swing it, you know, the other thing is he's, he's consistently always been a really solid run defender. Uh, his pass rush, uh, came on, um, kind of later in his career. He's, he's been a better pass rusher the last few years than he was, um, as a rookie, but, He's always been a good run defender. I, I think maybe this is one of those like under the radar guys who, if you can persuade him to come chase a ring with Green Bay, and if you can scrape together enough pennies that he's willing to come, man, I'm, I might be all in on this and just figure out how you use him when he when he gets here. Who cares if he's a better defensive end than he is an outside backer? Use him as a defensive end. We still have. Um, we still have uh, uh, use for that. Yeah. Look it up and his, his past contract to see how much he's made. Go ahead. I think as a pass rusher, we can simply say he gets there a little late. But uh, <laughs> well, so with the Raiders, I, I'm going back oh. to Bar actually. Oh, bar. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know what? I I, I think uh, I think I'm so in love with the idea of Carl Nassib that I don't even remember who Anthony Barr is anymore. Good. <laughs> Good, because I would prefer forgetting him myself. <laughs> so, uh, Nassib signed a three-year deal in 2020 with the Raiders. Um, I don't see why he is no longer with the team. It, said, it looks like he was a June 1st cut. Was that his request, or did the team move on from him? He His deal was for $8.5 million a year. Right. I'm not sure we could swing anything close to that. And that's no, maybe the I, I could tell you right now we can't. Yeah, that, that might be an issue, but but man, if 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 the Raiders are the ones who moved on from him, that would be nice for us. 
Uh, well, it has to be a situation down. where he's coming back because the market isn't what he thought it was. That's really the only realistic way you end up signing a guy like that. He tries the market, doesn't get the money he's expecting to get and says, all right, I got to take a one-year prove-it deal yeah. and bet on myself and, and see what happens. Now, he's been a bit of a, of a journeyman. He's bounced around to a few different teams. Uh, he played for the Browns, the Buccaneers, uh, the Raiders, and he did kind of prove it. I, I think I think the big issue is that he has proven it, and now he's going to be looking for that money. But like you said, maybe looks like maybe the the issue is that they paid Max Crosby and they had Yannick Ngakwe, and that's why they had maybe that's why the Raiders had to move on from him. But yeah, yeah, you know what? That's what happens when you pay uh, Devontae Adams. You can't keep Carl Nassib. <laughs> it'd be interesting if he ended up here and it's like you know he could have been part of the trade but he wasn't but he ended up here anyways uh, yeah interesting um yeah. okay uh one final thing uh gil uh we had a listener question not on this podcast but actually on my other packers podcast uh cheese and packers that's over on the packer podcast network had a um Voicemail sent in by a guy named Andy Monday from Kansas. Mm -hmm. He said that during the dead of the offseason, he likes to go back and watch past Packer games. I he do said, too. He said for, oh, absolutely. Actually, my, um, my parents come over to my house and we put on old games. And nice. the problem is that we have to uh, carefully try and find games where we don't remember the outcome, don't remember who won, don't remember the score. <laughs> And it's it's challenging to find like a list of good Packers games, but not know what the outcome of them was because we want to be surprised. Anyway, so Andy said he recently watched the 1994 playoff game against the Lions in Green Bay, where Barry Sanders was held to his lowest rushing total ever. He said it was a phenomenal game. Basically, he's looking for more suggestions of good. Packers games that he can watch this offseason. Now, I gave him a list of like five or six games over on the other podcast, but I thought, you know, Gil Martin has been around for basically every Packers game ever played. So he's <laughs> going to remember some under the radar ones. So the, the, the only criteria here is that it has to be something that is at least recent enough that Andy can go find a recording of this game somewhere. So YouTube or whatever. So, right. you know, don't give us 1930 anything because I don't uh, have, he's going to have a hard I, time with that. <laughs> I don't even go back that far, but okay. Uh, definitely first game that popped into my mind. Uh, go back to 1983 Monday night football Packers Redskins at Lambeau field for years the highest scoring game in Monday night history. I think that was just passed in the last year or two or three. Uh, but if you want to see how good Lynn Dickey, James Lofton, and that 1983 Packer offense was, that is one heck of a game. I know it has been on YouTube. Obviously, the NFL sometimes tries to take those down. It is also available uh, that you could probably pick up on uh, eBay on the 10 best Packer games in history DVD mm. set and you could probably get it for not a lot of money if you want to pick that up and that'll give you 10 games to watch uh, I would go with the uh, Packers Lions playoff game in 1993 uh, which was the first playoff game for Brett Favre and the Packers I think that would be great I think you could do the instant replay game against Chicago from 1989 would be uh, excellent and then I would add the last game the Packers played in Milwaukee, which was in 1994 oh. against the Atlanta Falcons. That was um, a heck of a finish there. And uh, I, you know, the, uh, that that sort of gets you through the 80s and into the early 90s. I, I, I know your suggestions tended to be more recent so i sort of concentrated i, I on am very of, very young uh, no yeah and that's unlike not your fault you know that's that's not your fault that's <laughs> all good but uh yeah so uh and and then if you want to do a one more game from the 80s packers 49ers i know this is on youtube 1989 uh heck of a game by the magic man uh beating joe montana and the super bowl defending super bowl and eventual again 
Super Bowl champion 49ers who were at their best back then. So at Candlestick Park, no less. So those are uh, a few games that just, you know, more or less off the top of my head. And I could, you know, if you want more, uh, email me or, or hit me up on Twitter and I'll be happy to do a little, uh, give it a little more thought and try to find you some more games. But I do have a, a pretty good collection of them and, uh, and I do actually watch them. So, yeah. Thank you very much. That does it for us today. We'll be right back here next week. Follow us on Twitter at Gil Packers or at JJ Leahy to stay up to date on all things Packers or to ask us questions. You can email us at asknohuddle at gmail.com. Make sure you're subscribed to Packers Talk on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Big thanks to PackersTalk.com for powering our show, and thank you for listening. Until next time, go Pack Go! Go Pack Go! You are listening to Packers Talk Radio Network. Packers Talk. Not